I want you to turn with me in the book to the book of Isaiah, if you would. Isaiah chapter 6. And today the subject is worship. And I want to talk to you about how can you know that you have a real worship experience? How can you know that you're having a real worship encounter? How can you repeatedly have worship experiences and encounters with the Lord? And I want you to join me there in Isaiah chapter 6 in just a moment. Isaiah chapter 6. Um, I want to share something with you that's very revealing about our culture. We live in a day where we have a lot of people that uh, are taking in lots of things. And uh, Barna, one of the groups that do great research for the church, um, shared a survey on worship. And I want to share it with you because most of this data is from 2016 and 2000, some of it is from 2017. In their research, they have no one giving answers that are more than one-fifth of people responding. That's very, very interesting. It shows that there's a lot of diversity in thinking about what is worship. So let me share with you, that with you today. And um, here's what they discovered. They discovered that when people use the word worship, it means lots of things to lots and lots of people. So notice this. Here's what they discovered. Less than 20%, uh, one-fifth of anybody responded to one answer. And watch this. Uh, they asked, what was the most likely definition held by people related to the subject of worship? And here was the biggest answer, 19%. Expressions of one's praise or thanks to God. Well, we were doing that just now, weren't we? Praying to God, 17%. Attending church services, 17%. Having a personal relationship with God, only 12% answered that was worship. Uh, 10% said it was a particular attitude towards God. A way of living that reflects one's spiritual commitment was only 9%. The view of worship by born-again Christians were not significantly different. That's a little troubling, isn't it? Of other adults, 48% of regular church attenders said, listen to this, this is probably the saddest thing I read in this entire thing, this entire survey, that they had not encountered or experienced the presence of God that they knew of in the past year of their life. That's an indictment on our culture, isn't it? And on the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, 48% said that. So 52, I guess, did. When asked to identify the single most important responsibility of a Christian, the response of uh, born-again adults showed that worship, it was the top priority. That was listed by 34%. And listen to this. Two-thirds of churchgoers today said... 65%, that they are very satisfied with their ability to worship God that is afforded to them by their local church. Something's not right there, huh? They're happy, they're content with worship, but so many have such a varied opinion and they haven't experienced the presence of God in a worship encounter in the last year. Big 48%. Pretty sad, huh? Well, I'll ask you this question. Have you worshiped lately? You'll hear me ask that question a couple times today. Have you worshipped lately? Have you worshipped lately? Um, in the English language, the word worship comes from two words, worth and ship, and it uh, means something worthy of recognition. In the Greek New Testament, it is, 
defined as to bow at the waist or to prostrate oneself on the ground, to bow low. Yesterday, I uh, had an experience. I went to, uh, you know, I want to be a, a, a good host pastor. Some of you are friends with me on Facebook, and you know what happened, right? Um, you know, sometimes things just, you know, I, I just believe that you honor the Lord in your, in your ways, and He will give you the desires of your heart, amen? Uh, you know, I've been a Cowboys fan since I was a little kid, and... Uh, you know, of course, I got to see, in fact, I took a picture. Calvin Hill was a rookie when I started watching the Cowboys. I was eight years old. And uh, I saw his picture in the locker room because he, only people had been, are in that ring in the locker room uh, are there if they at least uh, were in the Pro Bowl at least twice. And uh, so there's a bunch of them up on, on top of the, the lockers in there. Anyway, we had a, I just thought I would be very sacrificial I would take my Saturday and my dear friend Anthony Mossberg. I would, I would take him, uh, even though he's a lowly Cleveland Browns fan. I told you, Anthony, um, there were lots of them there in Ohio, and you talking about somebody that's loyal to their team. There you go. And uh, anyway, he said, "Yeah, man, I'd love to go to AT and T Stadium and take the tour." So I took him on the VIP tour yesterday. It was sweet. We had a good time. I sacrificed so my brother could see that. That's what I did. I mean, it was a great sacrifice. It took almost you know several hours, and we looked around and had a had a big old time. Well, there was a they gave us instructions when we started the the tour, and they said no, no video, no video whatsoever catch a video and you know we'll shut you down you can take pictures there were a couple places they took us that we couldn't take pictures but they said you can take pictures all you want but don't shoot video so there's a lady in our group and she's got a cowboy jersey on and I mean she was a radical fan every time our group moved she was one that still lingered and kept taking pictures and then you know at the end of the tour they let you go down and play around on the field you can throw throw football or kick soccer or kick field goals or or you can go to the star well I told Anthony I said let's go get a picture on the star I just think you'd really like that and uh, I'll take one of you and you can take one of me and and we'll take one on there together we'll get somebody to take a picture well we got behind this lady and she was videotaping all over the place. I mean, she just kept doing it. We, we saw her all, all day long, and she, she took pictures of everything. Well, we get on the field. She gets on the star before we do. You have to kind of take your turn. And I, I thought I was a Cowboy fan. I saw a new definition yesterday. This lady lays down on the star like this. And here's what she did. Over and over, she just kept kissing it. Then she's doing poses like this. <laughs> I didn't do that pose, by the way. Wonder why. She did all kinds of, I mean, she was there. Anthony, what, 10 minutes? 
In fact, we were trying to get her off the star, but I, I think I may have seen somebody commit adultery yesterday. I think, I think that's beyond fan, you know? I mean, there was kissing and hugging and just, I mean, it was weird. We watched that and I thought, whatever she is, I'm not that. I'm not that over the top, you know? I love the Cowboys, I'm a big fan, but that, that's just weird. That was weird. And we finally got our picture on the star. So I, I just thought of that while I was reading that definition that in the Greek it means to prostrate oneself. That, that sounds like worship, doesn't it? Huh. Anyway, that's what happened yesterday. I sacrificed. Anthony had a good time. So we did that. I mean, you, you want me to do things like that with people that come in town and are guests, yes? Okay. I want you to read with me. If I could describe to you, to get back to the business at hand, if I could describe to you what a real worship looks like, what a real worship encounter looks like, wouldn't you want to get that? Wouldn't you want to know that? Wouldn't you want to be able to pull from that resource again and again so you could measure whether you're really worshiping God? Well, let me take you to this passage, and it also may double as a conversion passage. It may also double as a passage of of lackluster times in our life, and then we encounter the living God afresh, and we have a, a very moving experience with Him. But I want you to read with me. This is a tremendous passage. We should read it before we share it. It's from Isaiah chapter 6. Let's all stand for a moment, and here's what it says. I'm in the first six, uh, first eight verses. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above Above him were seraphims, each with six wings. With two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, listen to this, how appropriate we sang this, just a moment ago, in a very similar fashion. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the King Almighty. Then one of the seraphims flew, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, that, that, see this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I send me. Let's pray together. Father, let us just absorb this passage in a way today that we hear what your Spirit is saying and revealing about the nature of true worship. May we use this as a model of how we know we've encountered you, we've really had a worship experience, that it's not about how good a message was or how good praise music was that day, that it's really about what we do in response to you and how we look at you. 
And Father, help us to see this today and then see that it ultimately causes us for change. And Lord, we pray that we would encounter you today. We'd be moved, changed, and altered for your glory. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Wow, we have such a model in this prayer of how the Lord deals with us. And I don't know about you, I I had a very uh, moving experience when I came to Christ, but I want you to look at this passage in light of worship and principles of ongoing worship. And here's what it says. Number one, principle number one, here you go. We need to see God as God really is. We need to see God as God really is. You don't have Isaiah coming back from this encounter and going, well, me and the man upstairs got a deal going on. That's not there. There's reverence, respect, awe. He's been altered by encountering God. That's what's taking place. He doesn't have this uh, buddy type of thing that he's talking about God here. He's talking about really encountering God. Look at the passage. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, what happened? I saw the Lord. Well, what does he mean when he says, I saw the Lord? Well, you can tell by this reading that it's it's visionary, isn't it? He's having like a, a vision of what God, who God is. And it's important for us to note that because it was Jesus in his own words in John chapter 1 verse 18 that made this statement, no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. See, my best glimpse of God is in Jesus Christ, His Son. When I look at what He did on planet Earth, and when I encounter Him, and I look at Him, and look at Him, and then look at my life, then I'm getting my best glimpse of God, because the Son has manifested what the Father is all about and what he's like. If you read on, the Bible tells us in other passages, like in the book of John chapter 1, verse 14, really comes out and says this even further. Jesus says this. He says, I, he, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. God is described in this passage as seated on his throne, high and exalted, isn't he? He's high and exalted. His train, the train of his robe, fills the temple. The passage talks about smoke started filling, filling the temple. The Bible tells us this in the book, of, uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, about encountering God. It says in chapter uh, 11, verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God must first believe He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. That's key to encountering God. You have to be somewhat of a seeker to engage and experience Him. How many of you remember that the encounter Jesus had with the woman at the well, Jesus said, now the day has come that the Father's going to require of everybody to have real worship, to experience real worship. She was dialoguing about who they are. She's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. They're enemies. They shouldn't get along. Why in the world is he talking to her? And 
she starts talking about worship and where worship really takes place. And he says that the day has come now where people will only be able to worship in what? Two words. Spirit. The truth of the, the, the Spirit. The Spirit will enable people to be able to encounter God. And then the other thing, and here's what's so big because we have this encounter perpetually when you open the Bible and you read God's infallible, inerrant word. That's what you're seeing. You're seeing the very word of God. Leap off the page into your heart, into your mind. The inspired word has been (sighs) exhaled by Almighty God, breathed out by Almighty God. It's such an interesting thing to study and look at. Here's what he says. In that passage, uh, they says that we can only worship in spirit and in truth. You'll find that in John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. I've got to come to truth about God. See, I can't, I can't come to God believing things that are not true. I can't take in fake information. I can't take false information. I have to take in truth to be able to encounter God. You follow me? That's why the Bible is so central to worship. It's so important. We lift up truth, and people are drawn to that truth. They see truth. They recognize the truth. The Spirit enables them to understand truth, and that changes everything. Worship is about hearing from God, isn't it? It's about encountering God. The seraphims that were there, isn't it interesting that this is the only place they're actually given description? There's a lot of scholars that believe that the four living creatures that are in the book of revelation that are there around the throne of god may very well be seraphim there's some similarities and there's some things that are said that it could be but here's the reality these seraphim are these six-winged creatures now this is not the little blonde girl that's fair-skinned playing an angel in in the christmas program is it in fact in the uh, old testament the two seraphim that were actually inside the temple by the Holy of Holies that guarded the area. They had these two uh, uh, drawings, I mean, things of of seraphims, these these statues that were there. And uh, here's what they, some of the things that were there about them. They had a wingspan of 30 feet. They show them in this light of being there guarding the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. Um, it's, it's interesting to look at that because that's probably more accurate than the descriptions that we sometimes talk about angels as warm, fuzzy experiences and so forth. If you saw an angel in the Old Testament, what did they do? They usually threw themselves down to the ground and worshipped. They were in awe. And we need to remember what Psalm 8, chapter 1 says. It says the angels are a little bit above who? Just a little bit above. As the created order in heaven, they're above humans, right? The Bible says so. So we just take that as true. And then here's the amazing thing. One day you're going to be a part of judging those angels. Isn't that something? God's going to let you be a part of helping in that process. Isn't that something? Isn't that amazing? That you'll be a part of judging these angelic beings one day, of uh, assisting, being a part of that. These p- creatures were awesome. And in the, 
in the Bible, we see people responding to them. And then they'll say, don't worship me. I too am a created being, almost always. The only time that didn't happen is when the captain of the Lord's host or the angel, the angel, definite article in the Hebrew text, the angel of the Lord showed up. And uh, we may have been looking at a theophany, we may have been looking at a Christophany where Christ was not just idol in the Old Testament, he may have shown up on occasion. And uh, he speaks first person when he shows up for God, and he also, he also allowed people to worship. That's not the subject that I'm preaching on today, but it is a very, very interesting subject, isn't it? I just throw it out there for you, just to tickle your ears a little bit, and to get you studying the Word of God. It's such an incredible book, isn't it? The seraphim, described here. The presence of God, they cover their face. The presence of God, they cover their feet. And with two wings, they were flying. That is a very interesting-looking being, isn't it? You read the four creatures over in Revelation chapter 3 and 4 and in chapter 5, and you'll see that they, too, are very interesting. Maybe seraphims, we don't know for sure. They uh, are around the throne of God. Check this out, if you would. Um, in the Scriptures... Something wonderful just happened to me. You ever had that happen? Where your message closes. There it is. No, wrong one. So it begins by hearing God. Now, what did I say a few moments ago? Jesus said to the woman at the well that we are going to worship now in the New Testament era. How? In spirit and in truth, you can't worship God now without the Spirit enlightening you, living in us, showing us, revealing to us, and you can't worship God without truth. God will not wink at this any longer, he says. It has to be truth. What did the seraphim do? The seraphim declare, declare truth about God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of what? His glory. May that be true of the oaks and that this place is full of the glory of God. Listen, they go on to reveal that. And it says, just at their proclamation, the doorpost and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. You're having this description of God describe, being described. So we have this incredible description of their proclaiming this message about God. The bottom line is that Isaiah was sensing who God was, who God is, and who God will forever be. He was getting a glimpse, a fresh glimpse, a new encounter where he was understanding something about God in a way that he didn't understand before. You see, it wasn't about him seeing God like Moses hid himself in the cleft of the rock. Do you remember that statement? And he saw the hind part of God. Listen, those are statements about seeing glimpses of God. Not seeing God face to face. You'd be gone. You can't look upon God. He's holy. So you get glimpses. You follow me, church? You get little pieces. You get little compartments. Something in your life. Listen, I go to these conferences and you know what I do? 
I've been to go, I've, I've gone to conferences, and it's always about learning more, improving, you know, getting better at what, at what you're doing. And I'll go to a conference. I'll go to one or two a year. And after several years, you know, they'd, they'd have an altar call. I Guess who'd be at the altar? See, I don't always get to go to church just like you do. So those times are kind of times for pastors, and I'd go to the altar. And the next one, I'd go to the altar. The next one, I'd go to the altar. God spoke to me. He's, twe- he's tweaking. He's, he's adjusting. And I'd go. So you know what I said? I came back. I told the whole staff. I said, I'm going to go to this conference, but I am not going to the altar. Guess who was at the altar? Me. I just don't say it anymore because I'm probably going to be at the altar. Why? Because God spoke to me. He moved me. He, some, some facet, some compartment of my life that I haven't, you know, surrendered or maybe I surrendered it and then I took it back. Because I'm a living creature. And living sacrifices can crawl off the altar. Right? We're not dead like we need to be. We're living, and we can crawl off of there. Listen, in this passage, I did it again. Wow. Yes, I need, to, I need this message out. Karen Burton Maines wrote this. She said uh, this well-phrased admonition in her little book, and this was written years ago. It's called Sing Joyfully. She wrote, Worship has been defined as a preoccupation with God. That's a, good, that's a good description. What do we learn when we're being preoccupied with God? By cultivating intentionality, that's one of the ways that we are doing that, by deliberately turning our mind over to the, a divine preoccupation, by developing worship habits and working at them. Intentional worship means a worshiper is not going to church expecting worship just to happen, but they're intentionally going there as a worshiper. They're going to worship God. Is, go, is going to church determined to make worship happen. Uh, church newsletter aptly wrote, too many Christians are worshiping, uh, they worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. We must learn to work at our worship so that we're preoccupied with God. And delighted in him listen here's an automatic response if i am in responding as i should to god i mean if i see god and i get a glimpse of him and i see a little bit of his character i see part of his nature then there's only a natural response to that there really is if you're responding as a as a christian in the right way you see god as he is now you see yourself as you are This is not the edification portion of this message. I am a sinner saved by the grace and mercy of Almighty God. The only thing I have to offer you is the Word of God through the testimony of coming to Christ. It's the only thing good about Barry Jude that exists. It's just that I know the Son and I am following Him. I share that because in the passage, here's what takes place. In Psalm 53.3, it says, Everyone is turned away. We have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Is that not the testimony of all of us? It is. Man, if somebody starts telling me how good they are, I just listen for a while. 
You know, and they start telling me how, you know, they think if their good outweighs their bad, they'll get into heaven. And then I always just turn to some places in Scripture and share with them, you know, your idea would be wonderful, and lots and lots of people think they can go that way, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we have to have the righteousness of Christ. And the bombshell is for you, the standard of God, I always show them the standard is perfection. You can't mess up not one single time, and I know you already have. I said there's been one person go that way, and you will not be number two. Jesus Christ is perfect, amen? Born sinless, lived sinless. He is the Son of the living God, and He lived it out. He fulfilled all the law. You will not. The best of us will not. You fail. We're sinners. And when you get a glimpse of God, a piece of truth, a new light from Him, you will be, you'll see yourself as you really are, won't you? Check this out. It brings us to the place we realize we know we need God's mercy and His forgiveness, don't we? I love what Corey Tim Boone said. She says, you know, when God forgives you, you just put up a sign that says, no fish in here. That's a good, sta- good statement, isn't it? Listen to this in the book of verse 5. Woe to me, I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean laps, and I live among a people of unclean lips. That's our testimony, isn't it? The best among us. There we are, before Almighty God. You see, God, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. His glory fills the temple. Check this out. You see, we've got to come to the reality that we need to change. We need to be altered. We see the truth. The truth sets us free. I need to see myself as I really am. Third principle, look at this. We need to experience cleansing from God. When you come clean with God and you admit, I don't measure up, in your presence and in your glory, I fall short. I fall way short. Here we have a symbolic treatment of this seraphim taking the tongs of uh, a fire, an altar fire, and he reaches into the fire pit and takes out a coal. And then by the time he gets there, it's actually in his hand. And he brings the, the coal and he places it on Isaiah's what? Isn't it interesting that he places it on his tongue? Your tongue ever gets you in trouble? It never gets me in trouble. It gets us in trouble, doesn't it? It's a mouthpiece for our sinful nature. And sometimes, as James says, we can have cursings and blessings coming out of the same mouth. You've seen it. Somebody loves the Lord, and then they really make a blunder, man. They really mess up. Check this out. We experience cleansing from our sin. Now, to be under the blood of Jesus, what do we know is true? God has forgiven us for our past, present, and even future sins. Amen? But why do we confess? Like 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, and then there's that three-word phrase, God is faithful, He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a tremendous statement? See, I now... I'm forgiven 
It's under the blood of Christ. Amen? I'm going to heaven, and I have Jesus living in me by the power of His Holy Spirit. But I continue to confess my sin now, because not because it makes me lost, but because I agree with God. Worship experiences, worship encounters. I now confess my sin because when I'm out of alignment, I need to come back to the truth, back to the alignment, back to the spirit, and back to the truth. And then I confess that. I'm confessing it. Why? Because I agree with God. The Bible says if we confess our sins as believers and we pray, and we, as he says in, in Ephesians chapter 5, if we seek what the Lord's will is, he will fill us with his spirit again and again and again. Amen? Speak to ourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and he tells us that we can be filled with the spirit <clears throat> over and over and over because we've been baptized at conversion. Amen? Then he says this in verse 7, See this, touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Today, some of you have been forgiven by God, but you haven't forgiven yourself. That's a bad place to be, because why would you not forgive yourself if God forgave you? If the one who is perfect forgave you, why would you not forgive yourself? Why would you let that stand in the way of serving Him? It's important that you do that, isn't it? But we are to do that. And then last of all, because I, I am running out of voice, i got to hit this real quick. Last of all, we need to have a new willingness to serve and share. Let me share with you what he says. In the passage, it says in verse, after he's had this cleansing experience, so we see three effects. We see that they see, we, when we're really worshiping God, we see God as he really is. We see ourselves as we really are. And then if there needs to be adjustment or attitude changes or we need to confess something to him because we're not right or this compartment of our life is not where it needs to be, we have a cleansing experience through the confession and then God sets us on our way. And then he says, this voice from God, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah responds, here am I. Here am I. Send me. Send me. You see, real worship results in obedience and making alterations and changes. You see God as He really is. You see yourself as you really are. You have that time of cleansing and adjustment, and then it results in what? If it's real worship. It results in life change. It results in you taking on new dimensions in your Christian walk. It results in service to Christ and witness. That's what he says in the passage. It's such a great model for witnessing and for worship, isn't it? So real worship, just to come down here and wrap it up, listen to this. So you see God as he really is, Isaiah 6, 1-4. You see yourself as you really are, verse 5. You experience a time of cleansing from your sin as part of that process. Now, we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, right? So this has to do with the way we're living and conducting our lives. It has to do with our conduct. It has to do with changing course. That's what we're talking about. And then last of all, you are willing to share about God and serve Him. So I ask you again, have you worshipped lately? I told you I was going to ask you that a couple of times. Have you worshipped lately? Have you worshipped lately? This morning, 
I want to ask you, if you've ever come to church, and I've been guilty, came in one way, left the same way, that's not good. That's not what I was called to do. And what I'm, You see, as I said earlier today, the only reason really to be here is to encounter God and worship Him. And this is a service. Our worship, as you'll hear about next week, is all week long. This is just the huddle. This is the huddle before you go out and live your life on the field of life. As we've huddled today, since we're here, maybe we should stop and do a little time of encountering the Lord. And maybe for you it might be that you need to come to the altar to encounter Him like you really need to. You see Him as He really is. You see yourself, which is usually humbling. Every now and then it's edifying. Usually humbling. Time of cleansing. Do you need to have a time of cleansing right here, right now, that you make adjustments at the altar? And then you leave this place ready to serve Him with more fervor and power in your life than ever before. Let's bow our heads. Father, in this place, someone might need to give themselves to Christ. This very well could be a conversion of Isaiah. Father, this is definitely a worship encounter, and He is changed. He's forever changed. And Lord, when we encounter You, may we respond to You just like Isaiah did. And may the end result be, Lord, that we realize, woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. That's reality. But Lord, as we're cleansed and reassigned and commissioned, I pray that we would be like Isaiah and we'd say, here am I. Send me. That's worship. Father, help us to do just that right now. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.